Hello and welcome to the first ever IDG 50 for 50 podcast. Uh, I'm Aaron Gordon here with my father, David Gordon, and we're trying something new. In honor of our 50th anniversary here at our insurance agency, we are going to record on different topics, talk about the marketplace, what we see, what others see, and where we go from here. We welcome your comments and feedback. We can be reached at www.gordoncompanies.com on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash Gordon Companies, Twitter, Gordon Companies on Twitter, Instagram, and so on and so forth. The opinions that we mention here are ours and ours only, and let's give it a whirl. Hello, Dad. Hi, how are you, son? I'm doing great. So we're here at the beginning of our 50 for 50 podcast. I haven't been here for all 50 years, but we'll try to give our unique perspectives on the way we see the market from my millennial approach and your, I don't know, let's just say less than millennial approach or view on things. So I guess the first thing we should get to is how or why we both got into this business. And then we can talk about some of the things that we like or don't like about what's going on. But I guess for everyone out there, you've been doing this here for 50 years and in the industry for a lot longer. So what happened? Reader's Digest version. Well, some 60-some-odd years ago, while I was working delivering sandwiches in the insurance district, I bumped into a company called AM Best, which is the rating agency for all insurance companies. And a gentleman there decided to take me under his wing and said I should choose a career in insurance. Since I had no other career options open, I thought it wasn't a bad idea. But first I had to find out what insurance was all about. And that was really the beginning, when I learned that there were insurance companies, insurance agencies, insurance brokers, managing general agencies, foreign companies, domestic companies, small companies, large companies. I want you to know, folks, that when I started the business 60 years ago, there were hundreds of companies that we dealt with, and now we're down to tens. Interesting thing you mentioned, you said a gentleman took you under his wing and told you that you should pick a career in insurance. So one of the things that we often talk about changing is the idea of mentorship or why people choose a career in insurance or how how anybody ends up with in the insurance business for 50, 60 years. Now it seems like people are falling into them. So how have you seen kind of mentorship change? I know for me it's easy because both of my parents were in the business and that's my story is not as interesting as yours. I just decided that I liked what I got to see my parents do every day. But took you under his wing, what does that mean and, and, and what could that mean to somebody who's coming to the business today? It's a, it's a vast difference in time and space between when I came in and when you came in. When I came into the business, we started out as apprentices and we apprenticed ourselves to someone in our field, be it an insurance, an established insurance broker, an established underwriter, some, some person or personality or company that had a training program. And most of the large insurance companies had training programs in various cities, and they took young brokers in to train them into the way that that insurance company did business, hoping that when that person went out and became an independent insurance broker agent, that they would think highly of the company they trained under. So mentorship and training were kind of blended into one system. Today, we don't have that. It's all online. There's very little time for mentorship or apprenticeship in the insurance business. So, 
hundreds of companies to tens of companies, mentorship or the idea of growth from the company level, I guess, to then hoping that those young brokers and agents or producers would come back and work with them. Why the shift? What have you seen that has shifted? I know for myself, things have changed a little bit. I've seen more digital, but from the time I came in till now, in the last 10 or so years, we haven't seen any major changes, but you've seen major changes. And I guess also, you worked at John Hancock for a while and then moved over to almost exclusively the PNC side. How did that happen? Why? Well, well, I was always next? in the PNC side. There was a point in 1968 when John Hancock decided to get into the PNC business in kind of a strange manner. Um, they formed a company to serve professionals called Professional Economic Services, later Profesco, and that company needed a property casualty arm so that they could be full service to attorneys, accountants, various physicians, various professionals. And that's how John Hancock touched the property and casualty business before, before it formed an auto insurance and homeowners insurance carrier, as did all the other large mutual life insurance companies. So I was never in, per se, the life insurance business. I was always in property casualty, but for 12 years in John Hancock. As, as an aside, son, uh, you may not know this, but I was the only elected officer of John Hancock who had his own company on the side called David Gordon Associates. And we learn something new every day. <laughs> the, so you've seen large companies at work, and our firm, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a much smaller company. You'll even hear our grandfather clock ringing in the background. The, what made you choose to kind of focus on a smaller business maybe fewer clients, a different type of revenue stream, and that mode of earning a living and serving your clients as opposed to the large business, large corporate America? I don't believe that a service provider can operate in an institutional environment. In an institutional environment, someone sets the pace and tone of the service ethic, defines how you do business. And I don't believe that a person who's bent on serving people's individual needs, need someone to tell them that you need to speak to 10 people every day, or that you have to limit the time with the small clients and devote your time to larger clients. That institutional mentality takes away from the service ethic. It's, it's interesting you say that because I guess the assumption that we come in with, and this is the way I was raised, and I know the way that you run our business, is that it, being an independent insurance agent is about service. But I think that that's kind of one of the trends that we're seeing today with the millennial, the online, the automated, the often new attempt to commoditize our industry. Why is it that some people, in your opinion, don't see this as a service business? And kind of the, the long view of things, was it always like that? How has the service changed? When you say that you don't believe that someone who's focused on service can operate in, an inst in a large institution. That assumes that we're focused on exclusively service. I think that large bro broker institutions would say that they're focused on service, but maybe have a different view or definition of that. Well, first of all, there's consistency here. One of the greatest com uh, flattery comments I've ever received was from one of our clients who said, the reason I deal with David Gordon is because I speak to the family every time, and therefore there's consistency. If you're dealing with a large firm, you may get 12 different people involved in every transaction. 
here you get one. So I believe in that ethic, and that's why I've done it this way. Do you think that that's limited your ability to grow or stunted that, or do you think that it's helped you achieve the max without being tied down by corporate America or a large institution? I believe that if you take a person's psyche and say, can that person work in a digital environment, such as millennials are discussing, it may work until there's a claim or until there's a problem. At that stage in the game, you need to speak to someone. And I believe that absent that service or absent that way of doing business, the insurance business fails. One of the great leaders of our insurance business says that the, ser that the service ethic the begins with a promise to deliver. And when there's a claim, you fulfill the promise. So it's easy to digitally purchase insurance, whether it's adequate or inadequate. It's not easy to settle a complicated claim in a digital environment. So maybe, Maybe that's a good segue into another topic, which is we've spoken about what changed, but I, I would assume that we could both agree that the fundamentals of insurance and the basic foundations upon which carriers and agents are built have remained the same. So we touched a little bit on what's changed, how things have modernized or attempted at modernizing. We've spoken a little bit about millennials, how the carrier relationship has changed, which I'm sure we'll get into in more detail. but. Where do you see the fundamentals remaining the same, no matter how the... Aaron, they have not remained the same. There is no similarity in the way we do business today to the way we did business years ago. I think if, if we deliver any message through these podcasts, it is that consistency of service, consistency of contact, consistency of product is critical to both the buyer and seller. So the buyer, our client, who, who we represent, needs to know that no matter what happens, they're receiving consistent response, consistent service, and not kind of helter-skelter. The insurer needs to know, the carriers to whom we present our, our clients need to know that we are consistently ethical, consistently thorough, so that when, we, when the second generation calls, they're perpetuating a way of doing business that's been the same forever. But has it, you often say that we don't, that in the insurance business, we don't invent anything new. We're just creating offshoots of products that existed years ago. And we'll hopefully get into the detail of what those products are, but EPLI, an offshoot of DNO, DNO, a self-fulfilling prophecy, and so on and so forth. But aren't the basic foundations of the products the same? The way we deliver them might be different, or the way that we hope, or we hope that the client receives them the same way, and that's what we pride ourselves on as an advisor. But aren't the products the same, or maybe they're not? No, they're not the same. When you say, when to to give you the current uh, flavor of the month, cyber liability. The concept of cyber liability didn't exist ten years ago. So if you think about large large uh, businesses, Disney, uh, Target, etc which have suffered insured cyber liability losses, which were never contemplated by the insurance industry. So is that, I guess you may be going on a little bit of a tangent, but that's fine. I guess that my, my next question would be, is that a result of the changing times 
or the changing insurance marketplace trying to keep itself relevant and saying, there's this thing called technology, there's this thing called cyber risk, we'll create a product so that we can justify our existence, which is part of what millennials have a frustration with, which is, here's what we call a necessary evil. Oh, I have an expensive coat, so you'll tell me I need insurance, or my landlord doesn't want to get sued, so I need liability insurance, and so on and so forth. Cyber liability may be the same thing. Is it the insurance industry creating a product so that we can justify our existence, or are we really providing the service that the client ultimately needs? I, th I don't think the insurance industry creates a need. I think the business world or the personal world creates the need, and the insurance company, whether slowly or quickly, responds to the need. So it doesn't work in the downflow direction from the insurance company. Uh, the insurance company probably is the most traditional of the financial businesses in the world. So it doesn't see the changes that, that millennials see or businesses see. Remember, Aaron, it began only with property insurance. So it didn't even understand the concept of liability insurance hundreds of years ago. So by the time it recognized liability insurance and developed property insurance, it, all new things had come about. The airplane. Right, but, but the, as, a, as a millennial, I would say the airplane was just a ship in the air. So the cell phone is just a, is just, or, or the, the smartphone is just a computer that travels, and the computer was just a, a fax machine that was able to be quicker. So that, I guess, is when I say, are we reinventing the wheel or are we just modernizing an existing institution? We like to say, when you talk about continuity, so the same carriers that we have, you know, fire marks sitting on our wall or the picture of Lloyd sitting on our wall, those those items haven't really changed the the multiple line carriers are just evolving with the times but are they still kind of developed on the same foundations Aaron that's a that's a very good term multiple line carriers for many many years there was no such thing as multiple line carriers each carrier specialized in either property or liability insurance and they had the name, it, they had that word in their name. They were called indemnity insurers or property insurers. So one of the evolutions that we've seen, one of the developments is, is the combination. When property insurance went into casualty insurance, when property insurers went into casualty insurance and vice versa. They were very specialized 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago. And therefore, as they learned the tricks of the trade of the other lines of coverage, we call insurance line of coverage. As they learned that, they developed into multiple deliverers of various insurance products. Is that, so if I'm a consumer, does that help me or hurt me that now everyone wants to sell everything? I, I often say that when I started full time, you said to me, don't worry, the market will harden. And we use terms like a soft insurance market or a hard insurance market and how that plays itself into losses or premiums or appetite. But for the average consumer, one might say that the market being flooded with everyone thinking they can do everything and this, decreasing, this decreasingly softening market is better for the consumer because they get the cheaper, quote unquote, less expensive product from the same carriers. But right. how does that 
Aaron, I think, I think what we're doing here in this conversation may be perplexing, and I, let me explain why. You may remember that we have two friends who are in the world of finance, and they sat at our dinner table one day, and, and they pitched back and forth. One bought a product, and the other sold a product. And when they got up and left after dinner, we looked at each other and said, I have no idea what these guys do. Similarly here, does the client really care? Is it important to our clients to know what goes on behind the insurance curtain? Do they have to know how technically their product is, is created? Or do they want to know, does it, does it apply to my need? To me, when the physician says you need an x-ray, I don't ask what in your diagnostic uh, toolkit brought you to conclude that I need an x-ray. I go and get the x-ray. So it's, if our reputation as a trusted advisor means anything, it means that we do the worrying for you. We figure out what's behind the curtain that best serves the client, and you just have to tell us your need. What if I feel as a millennial that I don't have a need? Well, you, you may feel that, and, and I, I can understand the concept, but you have a need. You can't sustain a total loss to your home, Aaron, and survive financially. And by the way, your bank, your mortgagee, won't allow you to go without insurance anyhow because they can't survive unless all of their properties are insured. So that choice that you're making, a buy or not buy, is, is kind of a choice of saying, I'm disinterested, and one can't be disinterested in their financial security. But does that make insurance what I've said before, which is a necessary evil? Sure, sure. Just as many other things, having an attorney attend a house closing. It'd be nice if I could buy a house without an attorney to draw up the documents. Why, should, why don't I write my own will? Why don't I do my, why don't I do my own health care? Why do I go to professionals for anything? Because they're more educated at it, they're better at it. And as a result, I don't have a huge learning curve to self-satisfy. I can use someone else's learning curve. So I think I guess when I speak to my peer group, the challenge is I can go online, I can do this myself. I, I often make the, make the analogy to kind of like legal Zoom, people who feel that they can do their will by themselves, or TurboTax, people who feel, hey, my taxes are not complicated. And we say, yeah, but when something goes wrong, that's when you'll, that's when you'll understand. But until then, I could be saving money or nothing's gone wrong. So I think... Maybe my next question would be, what do you think is the most misunderstood from the consumer side part or thing about where we sit from your perspective? Because you have a different peer group than I do, so when you meet a prospect or a long-standing client, what do you think they, when they close the door after the meeting or they leave the office, what do you think they misunderstand if most? If they're a long-standing client, they've had a claim. And if they've had a claim, they've walked away satisfied. So when they talk about insurance, they don't have a negative perception. They say, I had a flood in my apartment, and the insurance company that the Gordons brought to me repaired my apartment. So then everybody should be running to buy insurance from us. Why aren't they? Well, first of all, they don't know about us. Second of all, many of them don't want to pay for our services. Just as, just as I may choose, which I don't, to have direct access to LegalZoom, I don't want to know that I missed something. I want a responsible party who understands me to represent me. 
Similarly here, almost anyone who owns property in the United States, almost anyone has a need for insurance. They have to buy it. Almost anyone who, who owns real estate needs liability insurance. They have to buy it. So those who don't enter into the insurance marketplace by virtue of feeling that it doesn't apply to them are making a classic mistake. I mean, let me, let me give you a simple example, Aaron. Young people get sick and get disabled. If they don't have disability insurance, they're, fa they're, they're facing a financial cliff. And yet they say, I'm unassailable, I'm young. And I can tell you story after story about disabled physicians. So, so there, there's a need, and, I, and over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to attempt, just to kind of set the stage a little bit again, we're going to attempt to do maybe 50 of these throughout the course of the year in honor of our 50th anniversary. You'll hear our grandfather clock in the background. You'll hear the clock talking, and it'll kind of be hopefully an open and honest conversation between the two of us, given our perspectives. But the industry is facing what some might say is a cliff, and that is there's the modernization out there, there's the commoditization, there's recent news, and it's no secret that Amazon wants to get into the insurance business. There's mergers and acquisitions happening all around us from the agent space, not, and that's not even to mention the carrier side. So if you could give a five-year outlook, three to five-year outlook on Aaron and David Gordner sitting here five years from now, Maybe they'll still classify me as a millennial because that's the age bracket that I'm in, but they'll be Gen Y and Z and A, B, C, D starting over again. Where, how does this conversation change? How does the consumer see their product? Maybe not the product changing, but the way that the service is delivered. And is there a way for the agent to kind of stay where they are and say, hey, we're here. Then hopefully we'll be around for 55 years and we're still serving clients the same way. But how do, how do they see that value from the I consumer the, side? I think the most important word that we can have in this conversation going forward is professionalism. The insurance business has a span of representatives that range from uneducated, illiterate, and, and probably fraudulent, to educated, literate, honest, and ethical. And I think if we can weed out the negatives and have the business conducted in a professional manner, then the client will see something that they're not used to today. If I may, uh, uh, there was an expression taught to me many years ago that certain agents need to kill one every day in order to eat. That means they must make a sale whether you need it or not. I believe that that's exactly the wrong way. Some studies that I was involved in myself show that it takes a year to create a new client, from introduction to end to, to selling an insurance policy or purchasing one. You need to have the year, you need to have the time to do that. A large firm trading on a commodity basis does not have the year, they have the minute. So this month is Insurance Careers Month. There's a lot of posts out there and comments out there about, you just told me I'm a, I'm a I'm 30, but if I was 25 and a recent college graduate, you just told me that I should come into a business that takes a year to develop clients. Maybe I'll be trained in the interim. And that, and for some, that doesn't seem like a great prospect. I'll just say for myself, I came into this business because I saw the passion and the ability to help. I 
the, the amount of times that the phone rang in our house and someone needed something at nine o'clock at night and you or mom were able to help them or leaving the dinner table or on vacation or just the understanding that we can serve everyone around us it in their own way. And earn a pretty good living. And earn a pretty good living, living, but if it took me a year to develop my first prospect and I didn't have the, what what some of us call first world problems of working with my parents or for my parents and not having to make the sale in the first year, to be able to cultivate those relationships or the first two years or fail at my first sale or mess up and have someone help me. We were, we're fortunate enough that we can have a client base that grows slowly and we're able to take that year. But it's Insurance Careers Month. Why, if I was starting today and I wasn't Aaron Gordon, the son of David and Goldie Gordon, but I was someone else who was just at a career fair, maybe well with this, what, why should I come work for you? First of all, you've got to find me. That's difficult. But if, if you think about it for a minute, Aaron, we have friends who are medical residents. They're 33 years old, 32 years old, still training to be physicians. So they've been training now for 10 years. And you're talking about how do I face a year? And someone is paying you during that year a wage to learn. So it's a great career. You don't have to have A plus in school. You just have to have kind of the will to do the right thing and the will to learn and to ask questions. It's not a bad career for a young person. The, the interesting part is I did to go to a college fair and I did stand behind a table and I did have people come up to me and say, so what is insurance and what do you do? And it, it's curious that they didn't even know college students what insurance was. I mean, I, I went to a business school and, and, I, and insurance wasn't offered and that was I guess the misconception, right? Everyone thinks that insurance is about actuarial studies and, and people lose the ability to really understand what we do every day, which is part of why we're doing this. And we hope that our clients listen and that carrier friends listen and that it's not just all you know, fun and games because ultimately there will be claims and we'll have stories that will come up. And we, we will show why this is a great business and this business is not going anywhere. And so I guess as we round up our first podcast, again, this is IDG 50 for 50. Uh, I, David Gordon Associates, the Gordon Company is celebrating 50 years of serving our clients. We're privileged to have clients that have been with us for 50 years or very, very close to it, and some that were just onboarded today. We welcome your comments at GordonCompanies.com. Find us on Twitter, Gordon Companies, Instagram, Gordon Companies. Find us on LinkedIn. Comment wherever you're seeing our podcast. We'd love to hear from you. This is... The first of our series, if you want to hear any topics, let us know. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. This is Aaron Gordon signing off, The Millennial, and David Gordon saying goodnight. Good night.